0: We're going to go now to Colin Peacock in Wellington because this is your lead topic tonight for Midweek Media Watch, Colin. Kia ora, good evening.
1: Kia ora, Karen. There
0: have been a couple of developments in recent days, more than a few, about the new public media entity. TVNZ fusing with RNZ as Aotearoa New Zealand public media. So... Where did it start and where's it going to end?
1: Yes, the developments are indeed stacking up. So the first really happened a week ago, last Wednesday. The Parliamentary Committee, looking over the legislation for uh, the new entity, published almost a 1,000 public submissions. Uh, These included ones from rival media companies who outlined their objections. We looked at some of those on Media Watch a couple of weeks back. Also just Ordinary Citizen's. Airing their concerns and uh, their preferences and so on. So uh, this came up again today in in the house because Willie Jackson was uh, grilled about this by the opposition. Um, Also about the possibility of, you know, ratings falling, audiences falling at TVNZ and the commercial impact of that kind of raises the spectre of, you know, previous Labour interventions in uh, particularly television broadcasting with TVNZ, where TVNZ were kind of forced to do things that weren't really in its commercial interest. So that all getting pretty interesting. It was reported in... uh, the News Hub at Six Bulletin tonight, News Talk ZB, had a fair bit of it um, throughout the day. And then uh, the committee also held its first hearing on this, that parliamentary committee overlooking the legislation for Aotearoa New Zealand public media. And that was a fairly light grilling there of the Broadcasting Minister. But in that, uh, he said that TVNZ needed a change of attitude to drive the change of culture that will be needed for this new entity, um, and that was interpreted by some in the media as kind of TVNZ, uh, perhaps resisting or dragging the chain, um, and that was the bit that uh, the media made stories of.
0: It's become a, a very political issue, as if it wasn't already, um, mm. but do you think the media seized onto that particular issue of it to fan the flames uh, for when it becomes you know, possible problems? Uh, of a merger?
1: Well, possibly. I mean, there's obvious media interest in the story itself because they're interested in the media themselves, a bit of self interest, I suppose, in that. Uh, but look, it was a fairly public prod from the minister uh, to say that about TVNZ and their attitude. So, certainly relevant and newsworthy uh, for the media to mention it. But my opinion, I mean, it's not all that revealing because we've known that TVNZ was going to find this transition. To uh, from a highly commercial entity into being part of a new entity that's public service and not-for-profit that that was going to be uh, awkward uh, a lot for the, the board and the management when it takes over to deal with there. Um, also TVNZ has throughout these steps in the process towards this one of the first things they do is to issue a press release to the advertisers saying, "Don't worry, you know, don't. We will still be able to screen your adverts." So they take them, the advertising industry, as a, as a kind of stakeholder very seriously. But um, yeah, some people were thinking, well, maybe the minister there is getting concerned that the TBNZ might be trying to hang on for a change of government because uh, they don't support the merger or certainly the spending. On it, whether they'd actually unpick it is another matter, possibly not. Um, but yes, for example, one person writing about a Duncan Greve of the spin off, um, he described Willie Jackson's comments as. You know, the minister trying to remind TVNZ, look, this is happening. Get with the programme. He he was slightly overwrought, in my opinion. He was saying this is a, a dark day for the merger, that Willie Jackson made those comments and evidence of, you know, simmering tensions. But, I mean, all this has been going on for some months now. He thinks it was, a you know, a, a kind of a, a sign of tensions erupting um, and that the, the merger possibly, you know, hinting that it might go off the rails. I think that was a bit overcooked. But, you know, a more significant development was another one. Uh, which also came out last week and that was uh, not made so many uh, headlines but it is now um, which is that they're going to change the way they fund content via uh, the government broadcasting funding agency New Zealand on air
0: and how does that how is that going to factor into it
1: well, it was always kind of obvious that once they announced in the budget that uh, the Aotearoa New Zealand public uh, media, the new entity, was going to get in excess of £100 million a year, that this was going to cut across the role of New Zealand on air, which funds, uh, the, well, the, the funding for RNZ comes through it, uh, and also all the contestable funding that um, the commercial channels and TVNZ, a uh, state-owned broadcaster, end up um, running. So... This was a bit cheeky. I think New Zealand On Air uh, on a Friday afternoon before (laughs) the long weekend that we've just had. Uh, Good time to slip out news if you don't want the media to pay too much attention to it. Uh, In in an email that was entitled, Quick Updates from New Zealand On Air, Um, innocuous title there. The uh, agency confirmed that the minister had told them from next year, $85 million of its budget would be reallocated from New Zealand On Air to the new entity, and uh, the update said that had been confirmed in a letter on September the seventh. So. Almost forty-three million of that is RNZ's annual budget, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, just gets funneled through New Zealand on air to RNZ. Um, but forty million dollars of that was uh, an estimate uh, by the government of the uh, roughly the amount of that contestable funding that New Zealand on air awards to projects to be made, mo- mostly by independent producers that end up screening on NZ on air. So it's kind of made a guess and chucked that sum in. And there's a bit more money too. For other projects that New Zealand On Air funds. For example, um, there's the Local Democracy Reporting Service actually run by RNZ, but that employs reporters and newspaper newsrooms around the country and so on. Uh, so, and other, other things, other projects funded currently by that Public Interest Journalism Fund. This is getting confusing now, isn't it? But that's also run by New Zealand On Air and also runs out next year, which is the same year the new entity comes into being. So, yeah, that's part of the reason for this rejig.
0: Can I just ask you a few questions there um, on those figures that you mentioned then? Uh, RNZ's budget remains unchanged at $43 million, or is that an increase? Uh,
1: no, that's that's pretty much unchanged. It uh, could go up and down with um, the next budget. But, I mean, effectively there is no RNZ budget from the following year because it's all and New Zealand public media. So it all becomes part of that, uh, I think, $109 million uh, per year over the next three years that was uh, uh, that was apportioned in budget twenty twenty two
0: so there'll be a bigger budget uh, or, the, or the kitty will be able to be dipped into by both parties.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. They'll have that amount for the new board, the new management to apportion to TV content, radio content, online, multimedia stuff, uh, commission from outside producers. That's what they've got to work with. So the sum of money that already goes to those two entities, that's what the government's kind of made a guesstimate of and said, actually, we'll take that away from New Zealand and give it to uh, the, new, the new entity.
0: Right, so RNZ will no longer be funded by New Zealand on air if the merger goes ahead. That's out out of the picture. Um, So the balance of that $85 million, let's say $42 million, Is that equal to the amount that New Zealand On Air already administer for local programs on TVNZ, or more?
1: Well, it's not just TVNZ. Like I said earlier, that they guessed at about 40 million of the contestable fund, Uh, so a pretty pretty sizeable chunk of the contestable fund for things like comedy, drama, and so on. Um, Not so much the news. Programs or news content or multimedia stuff, uh, that that's what they've guessed is, is TVNZ's uh, slice of that funding. But I've actually got the letter here. So the letter that was sent to New Zealand on air by uh, the Broadcasting and Media Minister Willie Jackson does say at the end um, long-term funding for New Zealand on air, so appropriation component, roughly, it's, it's basically saying it will have uh, for 2023, 24, 70 million dollars. So baseline funding $54 million, some cost pressures of $60 million, then GST. So basically $70 million bucks is the New Zealand on-air pool of long-term funding. So they lose uh, the slice that they had. Uh, so TVNZ effectively becoming part of the new entity will have um, the extra tens of millions to commission its own TV content.
0: So, and when New Zealand on air was created thirty something years ago, um, the political imperative was to provide contestable funding
1: yeah this is this is the big sort of philosophical change, if you like, because yeah, that was the politics of the time you you, you don 't want all your funding captured by one public provider, so making it contestable and it was part of the deregulation of broadcasting and so on. I mean most countries do it differently, you know they have a public broadcast like the ABC in Australia or the BBC in the u k or whatever where People pay some sort of fee, um, or the taxes pay for it um, from the central government. So here we don't have that. We have a state-owned TV company that's highly commercial, and a little uh, smaller radio broadcaster and an uh, RNZ. And of course, both RNZ TV and Z do multimedia content as well. So. That's what the government is trying to update, saying this doesn't make sense in the new digital environment heading into the future. We'll we'll create a joined-up entity, and uh, that involves actually giving more money directly to the new public media entity, and they will be accountable for how they spend it, which is what happens in Australia, uh, the UK, Canada, other countries. Um, So that's getting a bit closer to the sort of public media model uh, those countries have had for a longer time.
0: So winners and losers, who are the losers in this?
1: Mm. Well, initially, uh, you know, it looks like New Zealand on Air itself, they get a smaller budget, so its kingdom uh, becomes smaller, um, and they've got a lot of staff. They appointed a head of journalism, for example, uh, and in fact two or three people, to run uh, the Public Interest Journalism Fund and its journalism projects. A lot of this sort of content, you imagine, will now be commissioned and done by the new entity, so that's one. Um, but effectively, uh, the production companies, the television production companies that have for years uh, bidded for uh, this contestable fund of uh, public money via New Zealand On Air, um, if the broadcasters want to show the programmes they pitch, they they apply for the funding, they get it, they make it. So for example, on News Hub at 6 tonight, uh, John Barnett, the, the former head of South Pacific Pictures, uh, was saying, look, companies could go bust now. There's less money in that contestable pot, uh, so the screen production industry would suffer a bit. The Screen Producers Association uh, president is Irene Gardner. They put out a statement uh, the um, uh, on Monday uh, saying, once they digested this, this move, saying this wasn't unexpected, but we want clarity about exactly what the funding for local production will be and where this actually leaves New Zealand on air. So another question is whether... Um, The public service style content uh, that this new public media entity is going to commission. Does that then mean that New Zealand On Air will have a very different role? Should they be commissioning more sort of crowd-pleasing sort of comedy and drama, more sort of, I don't know, populist, if you want to use that word, type of content, or will they more closely mirror what the public media entity does? I mean, we don't know. The public media entity doesn't have its own management or structure um, or strategy at all yet. So all this uh, up in the air and uh, yet yet to be determined.
0: Yeah, might change tomorrow. You never know. Yeah, well, there,
1: there will actually be uh, on tomorrow a, a select committee uh, the next of the, of the hearing. So last week it was the minister. Uh, tomorrow, the screen producers I think will be speaking to the committee and to the the MPs on the committee and saying these things. You know, they say we'll be lobbying the government to make sure both entities are sufficiently funded to live, deliver on the objectives. But of course, as producers, they want to be uh, ensure that their production companies, their members, uh, you know, who employ people and create the content, have done for years. Uh, Uh, will still have reliable streams of public money uh, to depend upon. So they will be nervous about, uh, you know, this money going directly to uh, a broadcaster that they don't yet know the measure of and who will be be running it, whereas they've become pretty familiar with and indeed dependent on uh, New Zealand on air over these last 30 years.
0: What's your view, uh, if the government does change next year, on whether uh, it could be just put to one side, scrapped?
1: Well, I, I, I doubt it on the, on the say-so really of uh, their long-standing spokesperson for broadcasting and, and media, Melissa Lee. She has actually said a couple of times, we're a sensible government and we won't unpick it. So I, I don't know whether that means they would actually reverse commitments in the budget that were made. But the short-termism is a real problem. So Budget 2022, which said that was the first time we had any inkling of how much the government was prepared to commit in financial terms to this new public media body, uh, and they they announced $109 million of funding over the three years. Now, at that point, of course, people did wonder, well, does that mean New Zealand money would drop? Now we know that it will. So it's not quite the bonanza that people thought it was at the time. But... uh, just this morning, uh, Wednesday morning on Morning Report, Christopher Luxon was being interviewed and making points in general about the government uh, spending too much money and uh, wasteful spending that needed to be reined in. The first thing he seized on, and it's uh, he's done this several times, was to say, you know, a prime example is the merger of RNZ and TBNZ. He says, not necessary, it's a waste of money. Of course, it's insignificant in terms of... Um, you know the general economy and what's really driving inflation but he has not hesitated to uh, to point to that as a as a simple example that uh, he thinks you know the public can grasp of of money that in his mind does not need to be spent so yeah they don't support the merger whether they'd really unpick it uh, remains to be seen Um, I suspect not but you never know like they could make budget decisions the economy gets worse if they're in charge you know who knows but beyond the three years that the government's committed uh, at, at budget 2022 we absolutely have no idea.
0: Let's move on to a radio interview with a teenage climate activist. Uh, this has created quite a bit of controversy.
1: Uh, yes, <laughs> it has indeed. So over the, over the, this actually happened last week as well, but it kind of built up a bit on social media over the weekend. So uh, last Friday this was, Heather Duplessy-Allen, on her News Talk ZB uh, drive show, interviewed uh, a school climate strike organiser called Izzy Cook, who's 16 years old, about the demands of the movement. Uh, now Heather Duplessy Allen was, you know, dismissive of the movement from the outset. Uh, she even called it a, a kiddie strike uh, before she got sixteen-year-old Izzy online and then quite aggressively questioned her first up about the main demand they made, which was that we need to reduce emissions from agriculture and uh, oh. have the national dairy herd. So that's what this sounded like.
0: Having you want us to shoot half the cows? No, not shoot half the cows. Um, it's a Kind of it would mean if you were t- t- talking in a literal sense that you would be um, kind of having less cows re- reproducing as much so that eventually you wouldn't kill the current cows, but eventually you would be able to get to about three million because we're looking a half it from um, the New Zealand peak of cows of 6.3
1: million that was in 2019.
0: Well, Heather loves cows, she loves cars, and she doesn't want to have to think about changing her lifestyle in any way. But d- did Izzy Cook win that round?
1: Well, I thought that was a good answer. Uh, you know, the, the interview shouldn't be a point-scoring competition, of course, but, I mean, that was a silly question. I mean, no-one's proposing there will be an en masse uh, killing in one go of half the nation's um, dairy herd. Um, of course, it's going to be a sinking lid, and even the Climate Change Commission's plan for 2050, you know, does say this, reducing animal herds would be, uh, over time, Um, But, you know, this does, uh, and and at the time of the uh, Climate Change Commission's plan came out, this question was asked, reducing the national herd will mean reducing our national export income. So, legitimate to ask about that. So, here is how Heather Duplessy-Ellen put that to Izzy Cook. So,
0: what are we going to do then? If we're not not sending our dairy and beef overseas to try to make some money to pay for you to go to school, um, what are we going to make money from,
1: Izzy? Mm, So... Hera's answer to that was, uh, well, you know, less emissions-intensive production. But, you know, you get the, you get the, the picture there from um, Heather Duplessy-Allen's approach there, sort of personalising, like, who's going to pay for you to go to school? Um, yeah, not really necessary.
0: So far it sounds confrontational, but par for the course, because Heather wasn't cutting her any slack
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, confrontational and a bit aggressive, I suppose, and particularly it sounds bad when it's a young person, but it wasn't outrageous or um, anything like that. But it did go up a notch. Uh, So soon after that, this was when the question came up of whether we should limit uh, non-essential air travel. Am I allowed to go to Fiji? Is that necessary?
0: In the current climate crisis, I don't think that that's necessary. When was the last time you were on a plane? mm, I'm not sure. Maybe a few months ago, to be honest. Where'd you go? Fiji. Izzy. <laughs> Izzy. Don't you care about the climate, Izzy? Of course I care about the climate. Not enough. You went to... <laughs> you went to Fiji. <laughs> Oh dear, she's uh, dining out on that one.
1: Yeah, someone's actually looped that hysterical laughter um, and put it out on the internet. It's quite a challenging listen, actually. Um, challenging, yeah, yeah <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but I mean, as he actually went on to explain, look, the trip to Fiji was her parents' idea. She wouldn't have made that choice personally and you know in a sense she has to live in the world as it is as a 16 year old but I mean Heather Duplicy-Ellen wasn't really listening to that.
0: What was the public reaction?
1: Well um, people didn't like the way that she was mocking a young person who was doing her best to you know engage properly and sincerely answer the questions uh, so they saw it as a gratuitous bullying of a young person um, and it, you know who represented a cause that Heather Duplicy-Ellen didn't respect. Um, But others saw it as, you know, ironic and pretty funny that in their mind an uppity kind of activist uh, apparently had not practised what she'd been preaching to other school kids and to to the nation. This was a national movement and she was a spokesperson. So um, I don't like doing this thing of, you know, doing a kind of ideological sniff test on people, but People on social media who wanted their views to be known, some, you know, leaning to the right, you know, found it hilarious and backed Heather duplessis ellen for exposing... What they thought was hypocrisy. People who tend to lean to the left felt it was um, bullying, unnecessary, and that um, the uh, Izzy Cook had been victimised.
0: Is anybody making a formal complaint?
1: Well, some say they will, but people often uh, say they'll do that—go um, to the Broadcasting Standards Authority about it. Um, but when considering, you know, the fairness of all this, I mean, there were there were a couple of other interesting parts of the program I thought were relevant. So, after the interview uh, was over with Izzy Cook, Heather Duplessis and did what ZB guests uh, hosts rather often do and kind of run down the guest off the back of getting in the text uh, feedback and that that's critical and reading it out. So once the guests off the line, they simply can't respond to that. So he is part of that last Friday. Now I did not expect that Izzy went to Fiji, right? I, I didn't know that I was just asking a question and then that's what happened. And then all of a
0: sudden, I saw the the, the, the protest in a completely different light. And the light that I now see the
1: protest in is, with respect, a bunch of middle-class kids who are doing this for something to do on a Friday. And so they can can showcase their credentials on the environment, right? If you're going to say that you're going to do this stuff, you have to do it yourself. Now there's plenty more where that came from. She read out a lot of that stuff post interview, you know. She said, "Look, if people want to play in the grown-up world of politics, make political and economic points about our whole country and industry, then part of that is they've got to expect to be treated like an adult, face tough questions and have their own choices scrutinized." Fair enough? Well, yeah, in principle it would be, but you know, stereotyping her like that, saying she was, you know, describing her as a middle-class youth activist who was, you know, looking for something to do, was a big assumption on her part and Subsequently, the spin-off um, invited Izzy Cook to write about that experience of that interview, but her mother uh, responded instead, writing the piece, pointed out that Izzy Cook had only taken a couple of flights in about three years. She does live a low-carbon lifestyle, uses public transport. Uh, she says Izzy works very hard to mobilise youth voice on this climate issue, on top of schoolwork and a part-time job, you know, working late into the night. So a very different picture, Um She also said, uh, Rose Cook, Izzy's mum, that Heather Duplessis ellen had checked out her daughter's Instagram uh, and maybe found out about the Fiji trip that way, you know, in a a way to discredit her. But as we heard there, Heather Duplessis ellen said she didn't know that Izzy had been to Fiji, and that was all a big surprise to her when she asked that question about, you know, am I allowed to go to Fiji? But another part of the interview is she read out, uh, Heather Duplessis ellen a text from a guy called Scott in Napier before the interview saying, uh, I want you to ask Izzy Cook these questions, you know, about the climate strike. You know, why should we not fly places, and you know, what will we do if we're not sending our food around the world? You know, people elsewhere in the world will starve. Said, I'm going to I'm going to ask those questions. I'm going to raise that. So it did sound like she had responded to a listener wanting Izzy Cook to be put on the spot. So that does make it seem a, a little as if, you know, she was targeted from the get go.
0: Do you think it was unfair?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, technically, in terms of broadcasting standards, I would doubt it. It's a pretty high bar. She wasn't ambushed, anything like that. She was representing a movement, invited to be interviewed, possibly knew what she was up for. So not unfair in terms of like a breach of broadcasting standards. But that thing of, you know, making assumptions about people's character once they're off the line and they can't respond, that that does seem unfair. And it's certainly not classy or graceful, you know, but also, look, a wasted opportunity because news media really often ignores people of this age. You know, and what could have been an enlightening interview if it had been, you know, better handled and uh, she'd been prepared to actually inquire about Izzy Cook's commitment and lifestyle, you know, would have been, would have been much better.
0: Well, someone who backed Heather deplessy Allen on this was Sean Plunkett and uh, offered to get uh, Heather deplessy Allen and Izzy Cook on his outlet, The Platform. to to talk it out uh, I'm guessing that didn't happen
1: (laughs) no it hasn't (laughs) hasn't so far as as I am aware but uh, yeah Sean made his uh, feelings known on social media saying that Izzy would have learned a lesson about walking the talk and truly thinking through your positions and he said Heather dupus did what any journalist should do and test the veracity of someone who was putting themselves in the public eye but um, he's been in the news for other things this week um for you know, saying that Brenton Tarrant shouldn't be described as a terrorist, um, that's got uh, him some more uh, opprobrium and, and pushback from other journalists and uh, commentators. But
0: can I can I just ask you, what does he think? The description should be
1: well. I think his point was that he was convicted for a lot of murders, so he was. Just, he said he should be described as a mass murderer, and there was. Uh, but he, I think, he, he said uh, that he hadn't been convicted of terrorism, whereas other people pointed out that in fact he had, and the first person to be convicted under under that law. So I mean, just technically, it's wrong. But he seems to want to make a, a quite a, uh, an individual point about the nuance in that, and I don't quite know why he would want to make a strong point of that, particularly when it's bound to upset a lot of people for no apparent reason, I would say. But he also uh, created his own sort of awkward piece of on-air live interview, um, as did Heather duplicy And He interviewed um, Kerry Hannafin of Countdown, who's become a a fairly um, familiar voice uh, over the times of lockdown and so on, speaking about uh, the supermarket business. And this was, Countdown had put out a press release about what it was doing for uh, Te Weki Te Reo Māori and its use of Te Reo uh, in and around Countdown supermarkets. The uh, Countdown agreed to do an interview with this, with the platform, but apparently because she believed it was actually with RNZ. When they found out it was with the platform, uh, Countdown, or maybe Kerry herself, backed out of the interview. So the platform called her back, and on the air, Sean Plunkett accused Countdown of just sort of Seeking good PR, but not being willing to enter into public debate on their platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, thank you for your view. We know that's not correct, but that... Well, know, well, what is correct then, Kerry? What is correct? Am I on air, Sean?
0: Yeah. That's incredibly misleading. No, it's
1: not. I asked for an interview, and you said yeah, you'd give I one. So now we're having it.
0: For these very reasons. No, that's, that's really, really not okay.
1: Well, I think promising so sorry, to give an interview Sam, and then but, not but, giving it isn't Okay. okay. Hmm. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, and this has happened before on the platform. Uh, there's one instance with a, a Massey University academic um, who was unwilling to be interviewed, and they caught a putter on the air. Um, you know, there are circumstances in which a broadcaster can put people live to air like that or, or record them without necessarily without their consent. But that's if the public interest really justifies it or if there's no other way of getting uh, information on an issue of significance uh, out there. And... You know, this really wasn't that sort of issue. And while, you know, the platform is an online outlet, it's not a broadcaster, so it's more or less free to do what it's like. It's not subject to uh, the Broadcasting Standards Authority's jurisdiction uh, and doesn't necessarily have to uphold its standards of um, balance, fairness, accuracy, and so on. But, you know, the more they do this, um, (laughs) you know, confront people like this and then put them on the air to, to make... A point um I think they're going to find that institutions and you know public figures are are not really going to be willing to be interviewed very often.
0: I just want to uh, quickly um, go back to when I did the introduction tonight. I did actually just quote Willie Jackson's words um, saying that we needed a trusted public broadcaster. No longer do people trust New Zealand television or New Zealand radio. Uh, And uh, this texter says, so nothing on the unforgivable corruption and loss of trust in the media. I've been listening to NZ National Radio since the 1960s. It's unlistenable now. That person says, I just wanted to point out, Colin, that you never said you were going to put that in the program. I was just um, wrapping up what you were talking about tonight uh, with what Willie Jackson said today. So I hope I clarified that for you.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, sure. And um, in fact, there was even another development about all this that yesterday um, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage published a strategic framework for a sustainable media system. So a very long document there wrapping up all the things that they're trying to do, which um, also gives you a sense of all the strands that are in play at the moment. I forgot to mention (laughs) earlier we were going through that list of of developments, and it's kind of weird. I'm just um, looking through the little chart here. There is a bit in it that says you know, one of the things, the specific actions to support a vibrant media sector is enhancing the role of New Zealand on air. So it it's important to all these uh, cultural objectives and the Ministry will work to ensure um, that it's uh, operating in a contemporary digital environment and so on, but yeah, it does, doesn't mention at any point that a large slice of its funding was going to be uh, disappearing. Uh,
0: a couple more texts here. Definitely middle-class family trip to Fiji, but as you pointed out, uh, in her defence, her parents... would have asked her to go with them. She could have said no, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it comes down to that thing of, you know, this was someone who had to live in the world as it is. And if the interview had been... If she hadn't been so determined to, uh, you know, make fun of her for, for the apparent hypocrisy, you know, they could have, um, they could have got to the bottom of that. I mean, he, he, I mean, to be fair, Izzy Cook did actually explain that it was her parents' idea and so on. But yeah, the details that came out when her mother wrote that piece, you know, uh, so giving giving a bit more background, all that could have been done, if, if she really thought it was important to dig into whether, you know, the 16-year-old was walking the talk or not, um, you know, rather than just sort of burst out laughing and uh, milking it. But, you know, uh, so a bit mean maybe, but whether it's, you know, actually unfair and actionable uh, and uh, would result in an upheld formal complaint, I doubt.
0: And uh, mother, the child sounded grown grown up enough to front up. That is interesting too. I thought the point that uh, her mother wrote the piece for the spin off. Uh, you know, what, that is a little questionable, isn't
1: it? I suppose. I mean, all I know is that the spin spinoff said they had approached Izzy herself uh, to write about the experience, both about the experience of organising the school strike and that specific experience of uh, getting a rough ride on News Newstalk ZB's drive show. Um, but yes, her mother decided that she would like to do this. And she had a, um, a bit of a killer line at the end of the piece, which is, uh, I understand... Heather became a mother herself this year. I hope no one ever speaks to her child as she had spoken to mine on the air. (laughs) Very
0: good. All right, then, Colin, I think that's about all we've got time for. We're coming up to 11 o'clock, but uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks' time.
1: Sure thing. Look forward to it.
0: Thank you very much. It's Colin Peacock, and thank you for your texts. Uh, lots of response in regard to what Colin has been talking about there uh, about Heather DePlissy Allen. Any sixteen-year-old is going to behave as a sixteen-year-old would naively. Merely entertaining a sixteen-year-old's opinion and then crit- critiquing them is applying an adult lens, as opposed to the obvious consideration. Apply a teenaged lens. It's simply moronic. Uh, yeah. I wish we did have time to discuss that because 16, one would say, is an adult, uh, wouldn't one? Isn't 16 an adult? Um, and send in your texts because I will read them after 11 o'clock after the news. And uh, lots of um, uh, opinion on Heather De Allen uh, and... Uh, in terms of the of RNZ, uh, this person says, I almost always choose commercial radio over RNZ, um, and Willie Jackson's real motivation is to increase Maori content on both platforms. So much more to discuss, haven't got time, but thank you very much for joining us tonight, and the news is next. Good night.